0: You're listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke. Hello, John Fleming, and welcome to Real Folk.
1: (laughs) Real Real Folk in cyberspace.
0: Real Folk in cyberspace. This is a Zoom Real Folk, not a Custard HQ one, uh, not a pub garden or a hotel garden. Uh, It's it's a Zoom one, so apologies if there's any in and outing. Real Folk. Hey. Yeah, exactly. So I'll be honest. Let's be honest with our listener. Um, we did yeah, do this in... Sorry. Who
1: are you?
0: <laughs> exactly. So we did... John and I actually uh, tried to record this last week uh, in a hotel. And the pub garden was so noisy that when I got home, the recording was irretrievable, really. Um, and it was also very, very windy. It's very gusty, wasn't it, John? Well, um, I was very windy.
1: and windy. <laughs>
0: So I'll share the picture. We've got a lovely picture of the two of us in there. But uh, so this, yeah, this actual interview is uh, taking place via the medium of Zoom. So um, I wanted to start with, um, you know, you you've just been up to Edinburgh, which didn't have the festival. So um, how did you how did you find that? Because that's probably the first year you've been up in August without a festival taking part.
1: Just got on the train, went off. There it was at the end. It was okay. <laughs> So I've been going up to Edinburgh since I was about an embryo, maybe because uh, my my father had a very rich aunt who lived in Edinburgh, and so obviously every year we went up to see her and show her our, our love and concern for her. She never left us any money, but yeah. Uh, and so I've been going up to Edinburgh every year since uh, I really since seriously since I was an embryo, uh, and I started going to the the film festival in like the earlier mid seventies because I'm that old. Uh, in my late mid or late 70s uh, and uh, then the the Fringe Fringe in the 80s and then that uh, sort of discovered the Comedy Fringe in the mid, mid 80s and I've been going up ever since then. Ever since then.
0: Edinburgh,
1: Edinburgh felt like, a, so I, I know what an ordinary Edinburgh feels like without the Fringe so it felt like an ordinary Edinburgh without the Fringe uh, and with fewer tourists because of course international travel's gone down so Exactly. Uh, it was just Edinburgh, really, very nice. Quiet.
0: You you're a um people might not gather because the accent is is minimal, um, if there at all. You are actually Scottish by I am.
1: By what? By, by hell.
0: <laughs> by Jove.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but um, was it morningside were you born? No, where were you born?
1: if only I could be born in Morningside, somewhere posh like that now. I was born in Campbelltown, which is a fishing Essex. town on the west coast of Scotland. And then we moved to uh, Abbertson Ab- Ab- until I was three. And then when, we was, when I was three, not when we were three, when I was three, uh, we moved to Aberdeen, which is a fishing town in the northeast of Scotland. And then when I was eight, I moved down to Ilford in Essex, uh, which is theoretically in Essex, but actually in East London. It's a sort of spit out of East London, which is very down market. So, uh,
0: yeah. So what was definitely- that must have bought- been a culture shock.
1: Uh, so, uh, culture. Uh, have you been to Ilford?
0: <laughs> Good one. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it wasn't even Ilford. It was Seven Kings, which is part of Ilford. It's just the a, a lower part of Ilford. Uh, not not a culture shock. I don't think because we're all British and all that. Um, uh, the accents were a bit odd, but then my accent was a bit odd too. I came yeah. from Aberdeen.
0: Aberdeen. So how did you find school suddenly? Um, a, a, a little young Scots boy suddenly
1: thrown I, into the Essex? Well, that's a, a shrewder question, you think, because uh, I think that meant that I, I didn't follow on from subject some, some subjects, but did for others. So uh, I think it was normal at that time for people coming from Scotland, it happened to my cousin as well, to be put forward a year when we came down to England, because the English is thick as shit. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I, when I did mathematics, I went from learning addition, to learning division. So I missed subtraction and um, multiplication because they, they were a year on from me, uh, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I missed it anyway. Uh, so uh, that makes no sense at all, do you hear that back? But anyway, that's true. Uh, so on factual subjects, I missed uh, a year because I got put forward and I hadn't had that year's learning in those subjects. But in, on arty subjects, it didn't actually matter. Uh, so and history didn't really matter because you just to looked at to a different part of history. It's all history, but mathematics and things like that and scientific subjects I was uh, less good at. I think because I had to catch up for a year. Yeah. And I was never ever particularly good at mathematics. Me uh, it just didn't add up.
0: Yeah. Me either, and that's not from missing a year. I was at all the years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: so, so, what's uh, your real
0: passion? Is is it movies? Is it comedy, tiramisu. or is it Jeremy Sue? Tiramisu. Well, why not? Yeah. I'm a cheesecake person myself. I'm not so keen yeah. on tiramisu. <laughs> well, I mean,
1: you, asked me, you asked me the last failed interview. Uh, what, what, what did I think of myself as? And when, when, when uh, in the early days when we had blue passports and you had to write your, your occupation in it, I, I put down writer. So I, and I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. So probably writer. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a good editor, really. Right. So and so what I'm inspired not, you I'm as a
0: kid, if you, if you wanted to be a writer um, and I know what that feels like, because that, that's kind of where, where I started and what I wanted to always be as well. And um, I just can remember thinking that the, the writing and the acting were sort of hand in hand. And if you could do both, then it, it, you had so much freedom because you had the, the written word and the chance to perform it as well. Um, so were you inspired by any, Particular writer as a kid that made you—you know—you read that and thought, "Oh my goodness, I just you know need to be a writer."
1: Can I just congratulate you for actually managed to leap in there? Because I, I, as mentioned before, (laughs) I ramble on and ramble on, and there's no way to edit. That's a trouble. I can't be editing. Words tumble into other words with no gaps for editing, or as I know about editing. Uh, when, when I was a kid, uh, I, I read widely. And I, I, no, I can no longer read, but there we go. That's another matter. Uh, I, uh, why I Why not?
0: Why do you say that?
1: I was hit by a truck in nineteen eighty one, 1991 when I was standing on the pavement. Really? The of, really? Would I lie to you? Would I well, lie to who you? knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh, but, but getting back to childhood uh, I no was, uh, I want to hear
0: about the truck how did you get hit by a truck John I didn't know that I,
1: I was going down to uh, it was a Saturday and it was uh, it must have been about 1145 or something because I was going down to the post box to post a letter before the 10, the twelve o 'clock delivery to someone i 'd met at Anglia television. Uh, I was no longer at Anglia television, uh, and so I was, was rushing down to do the uh, the post box. and I was standing perfectly legally and perfectly politely on the on the pavement and this this uh, cab uh, of, of a lorry came round past me from the right uh, and i i don 't remember it the sense of what happened but i don 't remember it i don 't remember anything ever uh, I, I turned. Around to, to see when it would be clear, and I turned into the overhang. If you can imagine the the, 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 the cab, and then the the, the the rectangular truck behind it is wider than the cab. Yes. So I, I turned into the corner of the the metal as uh, steel uh, uh, truck itself, and I, I got thrown backwards. Uh, my collarbone, well, no, my, my yeah, my collarbone was broke was. Uh, Pulverised in three places. Oh. Uh, one of them on the, on the pavement, uh, and uh, I fell backwards. And as I fell backwards, uh, there was a, a low wall of about nine inches high, uh, uh, yeah, nine inches high, uh, with a sharp edge. And as I fell back, the back of my head hit the corner of the the wall. So my shoulder was hit by the truck with a sharp edge. My my back of my head was hit by the sharp edge of the wall. And so I got concussion uh, well, and I, I also bashed around. Mm. And, and basically I, the hospital was inefficient and I was never treated properly after I was thrown out of hospital after a week. Uh, and so I, I got a concussion for about nine months or something. Uh, it was drifting. I used to think I was okay, then there wasn't. I was okay, then there wasn't. Okay. I did with the concussion. Uh, and uh, uh, I used to come home. Uh, I, I could work I, when I came home from work. I would sort of sit in front of the TV and uh, and watch it. Just I wasn't. I wasn't really taking anything in. If I tried to read a newspaper column. Uh, i get about one one paragraph in and it, it was as if my, my mind would go out of focus. I couldn't uh, mentally focus. I could visually focus, but I couldn't mentally focus on what was on the page and therefore I couldn't comprehend what was on the page. So it was like a flashback to senility, which I've now oh reached.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh,
1: and so that's, that's never really going be, So I can't read books anymore. I can write books, but I can't read them. Um, and I can write books, I think, because... You write books on a, a small computer screen, uh, and there's a limited num, a limited amount of visual information coming into your brain. Now, I, I in theory, I should be able to read Kindles and things like, like that, but I've never really particularly tried. But I can't read a book if I. It, it's probably mental. If I if I pick up a book and it's got 395 pages, I can get. A certain amount, and getting two or three pages in, but then it was as if my mind again goes into defocus mode, and I can't read it.
0: So interesting. That's, uh, that 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 must have been a really awful thing for somebody that makes their living writing, and, and yeah. it's their passion.
1: I've written a book with Martin Scorsese. Never met him. Uh, have you we, really? We, well, we, 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 we It was a, uh, anatomy of the movies, and I, I was there to write about uh, science fiction because I wrote about science fiction for magazines. And he, he wrote about producing movies and uh, who else was him? it was Donald Sutherland about acting and all, all, all top top people amazing. Right.
0: so did you meet all those guys and collaborate, no. or did you all just no. do your own no. bits?
1: No, no, so so uh, David Perry, who was a film, film editor of the of time Out, uh, just got in touch with all these people, and they all did it for him uh, and I was supposed to do science fiction but then, then the the look who was supposed to do stunting uh discovered he couldn't really write. The, the chapter. He had the information so he gave me the, the rough things he was going to do and then I, I half I put those into order and half wrote my own chapter. And then uh, David Perry didn't have time to do some other chapter and I did a third chapter so I did three chapters. so, uh, so And what's that Marcus- book called? Martin Scorsese, lazy bastard. (laughs) One chapter, me, three chapters, no problem. Uh, Anatomy of the Movies, out of print. It was published by, rather strangely, it was published by W.H. Smith in this country. And it was published by by Macmillan in North America. Oh,
0: interesting. It's a very good book. Yeah, I I, I was thinking it sounds really
1: good. Obviously, my my chapter on science fiction, obviously... It's the best. No, out of date, because I was saying things like, well, no one values science fiction anymore. (laughs) A couple of years later or something, I Star Wars came along.
0: Oh, changed everything. Changed yeah, yeah. everything. Well, that's going amazing.
1: Back, yeah, going back to your original question, uh, when I was a kid, I used to read widely. Uh, I admired uh, George Orwell, I admired because George Orwell was a very clear writer. He's an immensely vivid writer.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, 1984. <laughs> is shit because it's an awful novel because this, the, the female character is rubbish and the male character is pretty rubbish but it's a great book. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful, wonderful book But because it's very clear and the best thing about it is the appendix is wonderful about about New speak the language but he and I always wanted to be as good a, as clear a writer as clear a writer as George Orwell uh, and then when I was at college at the Regent Street Poly uh, one of the things we had to do was, was English and we had to that's, that's irrelevant. One of, the, one of the things we had to do at the end of I think the first term or the second term was we had to create something. So it could be an album of songs, it could be a book of poetry, it could be a novel, it could be whatever. And I, I decided to write the novel. So I wrote a novel and uh, it was shit. And But I, I thought well if I, if I wrote two more then The third one, or maybe the fourth one, would be okay. The, the, the second one would be shit as well, but I, I, I thought I could write, I could write <laughs> just novels, keep I could.
0: writing them until you yeah, get to yeah. one. Yeah,
1: I, I could write a novel because I can do the lens and all that, mm. so I can write a novel, but it, it, it actually stopped me writing a novel. That and the fact that I, I had to review, I had to write a, uh, an essay on George Eliot's Middlemarch, right? Which is and it's the only argument I know for uh. Studying literature in, in in any any form because it was it wasn't until I actually wrote the the uh, the essay on Middlemarch I realised how clever it was. It, she has, I think, it's uh, three groups of two people. There are, there, there are three couples, so there are six people, and none of them are the same at the end of the book as they were at the beginning of the book because what's happened in the book has changed their characters. And and, and if you sit down normally, you say. What in this famous book in Charles Dickens? Uh, what sort of person is this? And you can say, oh, he's X, y, or Z. In Middlemarch, you can't say that because the beginning, of, the person at the beginning is a different the psychological. Character Again, and I thought, I'll never write a better book than that. Bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> but it was mostly, it was mostly the fact I I I, I thought uh, I don't know I'd I got the, it could it had to my be out of my bonnet or something. I thought well. I've done, I've, I've written a novel. It was shit, but I, yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't feel the urge to write. I don't I don't, I don't. need to prove to myself that I can write a novel. I think I can write a novel. So that, that's egocent, egocentric, but, you know. Well, uh, it
0: isn't. I mean, and I think...
1: Um... I mean, I knew it was shit, and I knew the next one would be shit, and pr- possibly a third one, but I, I knew I could at some point write a decent novel. I'm not really a writer. I'm an editor. What I'm good at is rearranging things and making them work. So I interviewed their... Uh, Terry Nation who uh, invented the Daleks and I interviewed uh, Nigel Neal, who did Quatermass which is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life Uh, and I interviewed Brian Clemens who was involved in the Avengers and things like that and each of those people when I was interviewing them would just spew off wonderful plot plot lines off the top of their heads to explain something oh an example would be and then they they do this plot line you say bloody hell how did they do that and I, I haven't got that ability to to spew out, you know, fifteen original plots in in the next four minutes. I can't but do that. But if somebody
0: has, you can help them yeah, to yeah, make yeah, it yeah, more succinct
1: yeah. and. Yeah. So if, if someone if someone tells me uh, the, the the rough outline, then I can make it work. Or if if I, I if someone's doing, it, I can help them to make it work. So I can edit, and that also that goes to, uh, to, uh, to 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 visuals. So I was I was a promotion trailer maker. So if you give me a two and a half hour film, I can make twenty second. I can quickly make 20 seconds out of it. It's appealing and explain the, the plot because I'm an editor. And yeah. I think that goes back to when I was a kid. I was really, really, really interested in jigsaws. I love jigsaws and I'm, I've got a jigsaw mind. So I can, you can give me like, you know, 450 pieces or something and I can make a picture out of it. I
0: love that. I love that. Jigs- I've got a jigsaw mind. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's such a good analogy though, isn't it? For somebody yeah, that, that edits or does things, you, yeah, you know, yeah. because you've got all, like you said, you've got these potentially thousands of jigsaw pieces yeah. and well, in a jigsaw, there is only one way they all fit together. But when, as you know, when you're editing, there are some, there's multiple ways you can fit those jigsaw pieces together. Right, yeah.
1: I mean, th- there is no right way to do anything. Uh, okay. that you can you can put it together in five thousand ways. I mean, I, I got criticised at, at college once because uh, I was doing the same sort of essay over and over again. Which was, I would read everything about the subject, and then I would, uh, in order to make my argument for the for the essay, I would do quotes all over the place from, from these these sources, uh, and the result was I I, I had. Uh, an S seven eighths quotes and then one eighths me and, uh, <laughs> and it, it was it, I put it together in the way that I felt was uh, communicating my thoughts but uh, I said John, John write, write yourself do it yourself
0: yeah. well that's kind of what I, it's interesting you should say that because that's kind of what I did with this interview when I sort of been the first version and, and I, I said quite honestly I contacted you and I said you know look John I don't feel like we've discussed you at all <laughs> And, um, and I'm so glad we did because already, you know, um, I've found out so much more about your background and why why you do what you do and, and, and your sort of um, early career and what you got up to and what led you to be where you are now. And what I felt we'd missed from the first interview is really the story of your friendship because um, I don't know whether you feel that this is true, but a lot of guys tend to not have very strong bonds with one other guy you know there's not women tend to have friends and lots of friends but the blokes tend to be a little bit more acquaintancy do you you find and and I just felt like the the story of you and Malcolm was I don't know how you met I know that you that you um were friends and I know that you set up all these awards posthumously but I don't know how you met or how that friendship came about how long it was for yeah I, I would just love to know more about that really
1: how much? How much are you going to pay? Well, no, you're you're absolutely right. As, as far as I'm concerned, you're absolutely right because I don't have male friends. I never had male friends. But that's not, not
0: unusual, inter- is it?
1: You no, know, no, I'm, I'm not just not interested in men. I don't just mean sexually. I'm just not interested in men. Women. Uh, if, if, if a woman comes to me and says, "Oh, I've had this terrible time," I say, "Oh God," and I feel very protective. Uh, if a man comes to me and says, "I've had a terrible time," I say, "Oh, fuck off. Just sort it out." <laughs> And so I've, I've, I've never, I never, well, also I don't drink. <laughs> but, uh, I don't bond with men particularly. So I never bonded with Malcolm, not because he was him, he's very nice, but you know, uh, I just don't bond with men. So uh, I would say I've got four four friends, five friends, arguably, uh, and they're all women, because I'm just not interested in men psychologically.
0: And has that always been the case?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, I, m- I might have gone back to childhood where um, uh, when I came down to Ilford, uh, I was eight years old, and uh, that's halfway through the primary school. So all, all the bonds and friendships had been made by the other people halfway through uh, already. So it's a tough time was, to I
0: mean, come as a newbie. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and so I wasn't bullied really, but, uh, but it meant that uh, I wasn't making friends from the start. And also, yeah. geographically, no one lived near me. So I had, I had little chums in school. But no one lived near me from from my year or my class, so i, I didn't meet them out of school really uh, and so that probably i'm probably quite gregarious, but I wasn't in primary school or or secondary school because again that was a geographical thing uh, because it was the and it was again it was a boys school in, in secondary thing but probably more solitary than gregarious whereas naturally and probably more gregarious than solitary and it's wherever. interesting
0: that you went to to boys schools because usually guys that you that that went to or actually women as well if you've been to a single sex school actually whatever you know if it's a girl's school you tend to feel awkward around men and and vice versa so I find it interesting that you had a a male school upbringing and and yet your preference is for for female friends usually it's it's the other way round when you speak to people that they, they normally feel more comfortable in in what was their old school environment basically.
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think I'm just interested more in talking with women than talking with men, uh, and it's possibly because men are more simple. Well, Janie Godley, the Scottish comedian, had uh, had some line in one of her shows, something to the effect of. Uh, the difference between men and women was, was like if, 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 a, if a man's emotions and man's thoughts and so on were like a light switch. You switched them on, you switched them off. A woman is like a Rubik's cube.
0: <laughs> That's such a good yeah. analogy. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And therefore, uh, men are not as interesting to me as women. Although it would have been better if I was interested in more simple people, maybe. Uh, so there you go.
0: You're listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke. This would ordinarily be an advertising break. But as I don't yet have an advertiser, why not check out standingoncustard.com where you can buy all four of my children's books plus my adult comedy book about online dating, all delivered free and signed by me. Standingoncustard.com. Back to the show.
1: Uh, Mr. Malcolm, Mr. Malcolm. I met Malcolm, we couldn't quite remember how we met or uh, when, no, we couldn't remember when we met. Uh, I, I was doing uh, either Game for a Laugh or Surprise, Surprise for London Weekend, which were real people shows. And uh, from from Tiswell's days, I got typed as Finding Bizarre acts. And they were usually sort of bizarre, real people acts. So some some bloke with no life in the middle of nowhere in the provinces and to keep himself sane, he did wild things. Anyway, uh, so I, I was I was Mr. Eccentric. And so uh, inevitably in the mid, in the 85, 86, round about then, out of a game for a laugh, or surprise, surprise. Uh, I went to see Malcolm uh, at the Tunnel because he ran the Tunnel Palladium, which was a club in, uh, in Dartford. But uh, also he managed and uh, mentored and uh, uh, advised all sorts of comics. And I went to see him for, uh, I think, a couple of acts that he had. I can't remember who they were. And so that's how we first met. Uh, And then we sort of just got to know each other. And then I ended up working at uh, Gay Television, named after, I should point out, a songwriter. uh, Gay Television. Uh, And I was working on... I, was, I, was, I had an interview to to be uh, employed in the light entertainment department, BSB, the precursor of BSkyB, a different company. And usually, and usually I got it because I, I usually didn't get interviews because I, I, you can hear how I'm, I'm not someone you would employ if you, if you hear me. <laughs> today, you wouldn't employ me. And so a couple of times, I had I, I, a couple of times I was I was rejected for interviews. And six months later, people phoned me up and said. This dad jobs come kind of up again. We can't be bothered to just go through the rigmarole of interviewing people. Do you want it? So, uh, so I got it through not not getting the job. Anyway, so I, I got this job at Nogate Television as an associate producer, uh, and I, I'd also already booked a very expensive holiday somewhere in the Far East. And I said, I, mm, I don't, I don't really feel like I can't. I can cancel this holiday, and he said, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. So you can you start afterwards. And uh, when I told this to Malcolm, he said, oh. Fuck okay, it, I could do that. I could do your job. And I said, don't be stupid, Malcolm. You'll never come in at time. You, you you never come in at nine o'clock and leave at six o'clock. And then I thought about it and I thought, he knows everybody in alternative comedy. So if he phones up, they're going to do it for him. Mm. And so I mentioned, I mentioned to the producer about this and he said, that's ridiculous. Malcolm will never keep, keep it up. He'll never come in at nine o'clock and leave at six o'clock. He's so irresponsible. And then he thought about it and he thought, yeah, hey, it, it might work. <laughs> But, so I went off on this three or four week holiday uh, while Malcolm did my job. And, uh, and I came back. Oh, oh, and Malcolm had just come in at nine o'clock and left at six o'clock. Wow. And, uh, and they kept us both on. So we both, both so we, we barely knew each other from that. Shared a desk, I think. They gained tremendously from that because if a TV producer or a TV researcher phones you up, he said, Oh, some sort of wanker. God, oh, God, he's done He's done trustworthy. He's been to Oxford. He's a wanker.
0: Yeah, but if Malcolm phones you. But
1: Malcolm phones, absolutely. Oh, oh, no, no. If, if one of the producers or researchers phones you up and says, I work for No Gay Television at that point, they would think, Hold oh, on, that's the company that Malcolm works for. They must be OK. Uh, or if Malcolm phoned them up, they'd do it. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the company got kudos out of it because uh, Malcolm had actually. Were, was actually working for them, so and so, so then, it was run when,
0: by it was run by real people. It was perceived to be obviously because Malcolm yeah. was a very yeah. real character, and uh, yeah. like you say, it wasn't considered to be like a footlights, Cambridge, Oxford kind of business. Yeah. I mean,
1: it, was, it was, of course, but yeah, it wasn't thought to be. But it wasn't
0: perceived <laughs> to be. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Yeah.
1: So, so again, it's again, it's psychological uh, perception, uh, mm. which is everything, really. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I left. They annoyed me. Um, I, I left no gay uh, and there was a point in 1993 or four somewhere around there Malcolm phoned me up we were working together Malcolm phoned me up and said oi, oi, uh, I've got I've got this contract to run my autobiography I can't do it you have to fucking do it and I, said, I and he said 50-50 I'll give you 50-50 to write me autobiography and I said that could be ridiculous you can write your own autobiography I'll just sort of nudge you occasionally so I, I said 90-10 you, you take 90 I'll take 10 he said no, 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 no. So eventually, what happened was he he, he beat me down to eighty twenty in his favour. <laughs> I, I really wanted ninety twenty ninety ten in his favour, and, he, and he'd originally offered me fifty fifty. So so clearly, I'm not a good negotiator. Yeah,
0: I was just going to say, yeah, that's not the job for you.
1: No, no. <laughs> so and and. Then, and then, but, quite often since then people have said that oh you should be an agent or you should be a ma you should be a manager and I could be a good manager but I couldn't be a good agent because i don't if i can beat someone down and screw them financially i don't get a hard-on this is uh, <laughs>
0: no, to, too yeah, honest
1: yeah you you have to at my age i'm lucky to get her but uh, <laughs> but you know uh, you have to really get a, a kick at, it's like being a performer uh, you have to get a kick out of it. So, and the kick out of being an agent is that you do a great deal and you, you perhaps persuade people to have someone on that they don't want on at the highest possible rate. Uh, and that
0: doesn't do it for you? No. But just going back to, to Malcolm's book, so did you, did you edit his book in the end or...?
1: you did? Well, well, well of course, what happened was he couldn't be bothered. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so did you
0: write it, in fact?
1: Well... Uh, um, uh, Pretty much. Basically, Basically, it's interviews, basically. So every word in that book is Malcolm's words. Right. Same, all, all the right words, not necessarily in the, in right, the right
0: order. order.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and there was a very good interview uh, review in the Manchester Evening News or something that said that uh, it sound, when you read it, it was as if you were in, in the room of Malcolm and he was talking to you. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, so I, so I, I, did interview, I interviewed him over like about nine months.
0: And um, what's, the, what's the book actually called? It's um...
1: I, I, I stole Freddie Mercury's birthday cake. And that was Malcolm's idea, totally. He came in one day and said, I've got a title for the book, I Stole Freddie Mercury's Birthday Cake, as indeed he did. Uh, and man, man, to give him his due, he did write it, I think he wrote about the first page and a half or two pages of the book.
0: So hang on, let's, let's backtrack a moment. So the book is called I Stole Freddie Mercury's Birthday Cake, and that's obviously based on a true story. So what's that story just...
1: You'll have to buy the book to find to out. Find out. So, The Greatest Show and Legs were, were a book to play for Freddie Mercury's, I think, 40th birthday party at some swank West End place. And there, they were very much, you know, they had the a hired help, you know, they were just the, the, the people who were there to entertain people. While, while we they should they just go. say
0: that The Greatest Show and Legs was Malcolm and two buddies that used to basically take their clothes off and do a balloon dance. <laughs> That's
1: bit harsh, I think. Well, the greatest show on legs, in fact, was Martin Soane's Soane's act. Martin Soane, wonderful comedian, uh, uh, used to have a seaside act, uh, where he did a Punch and Judy show. Uh, And uh, if the show didn't go well, think of him, he's inside the booth. He just lifted the booth up and ran. Uh, (laughs) Great show on legs.
0: Ah, that's where that comes
1: from. And Malcolm encountered him at some point, probably out of prison or something, uh, and yeah, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called a Barker, is it? You have a sort of roll up, roll up, come, come to the Punch and Judy show. You have this person who sort of gets all the people to come sit on the stand and see, understand what's a Punch and Judy show. And so Malcolm was his sort of assistant in getting people in. And then they, they eventually became the Greatest Show on Legs, which was just a variety act. Uh, and usually three people, the third person tended to change. But in fact, all, all the creative things, in fact, were, were Martin Soane's. I mean, the balloon dance is Martin Soane's act. He came up with all the ideas. Uh, uh, and uh, they are also the the, the the red sparrows, which is you have men running around with sticks in their hand and little sparrows, red sparrows, on the end, and they're doing the the routines of the the aria. red arrows. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, uh, and 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 the the the, uh, the naked balloon dance. If you actually look at it, it is tremendously complicated. Uh, and it's all worked out by Martin Soog. Because the whole idea of the, the, the greatest balloon balance is you get three men, they've got three, they've got two two balloons each, and they have to cover their modesty, they're naked. Uh, and so things happen there. One of one of the men will pop one of the other balloons. Or one will deflate, and gradually you end up with no balloons. But at no point do you actually ever see the naughty bits.
0: It's very clever. It's, it is hilarious. It must be yeah. on YouTube somewhere, surely? I reckon.
1: Well, the one to look for, because there are cop people just ripped it off. Yes, of course. But they can't do it properly. There is the the O T T performance, because they were on O T T, this this uh, older version of Tiswas, uh, and they were sensational. If you if you ask anyone, if you ask any normal member of the public do you know who Malcolm Hardy is? They'll say, no, never heard of him. Uh, and you say, naked balloon dance, OTT. And if you're of a certain age, they'll remember it. But they, they will. They have no, no, no knowledge of Malcolm. but Malcolm died, he got full page obituaries in I don't know, The Guardian, The Telegraph, all over the place, all the quality papers did bigger victories because people in the industry knew who he was yeah. he got no nothing in the tabloids because the members of the public didn't know who he was anyway
0: but of course uh, the thing that you did set up in his honor uh, once he did sadly pass away yeah. is the other malcolm hardy awards and yes. um, so how long did they run in edinburgh for 10 years uh,
1: yes because what happened was uh, i i used to go up to edinburgh a lot with tv companies and so on uh, and i would get free tickets and there was a point where i wasn't getting free tickets and i thought how do you get free tickets to edinburgh comedy shows and i thought you start awards. You start awards. It's so Malcolm had done, Yeah, and, and, and Malcolm had done this before. Because when the Perrier Awards were big in Edinburgh, they were the, the big uh, awards. Yes. Uh, he started the Tapwater Awards. <laughs> I, did, I did not know that. And basically, and basically what he did was he gave the awards to his friends so he didn't actually have to have any financial outlay.
0: Excellent.
1: Uh, but but he, he got he got free tickets into everything. He said, "Look, well, come, free tickets, go, go, free tickets." <laughs> uh, and so, stealing my idea as always from Malcolm, uh, I thought I thought I'll, I'll set up awards in his memory, uh, and not part, part, obviously to to make sure his, he was remembered. But uh, yeah, and
0: so, how many actual awards were there? There
1: were there's. Well, well when when I was, when I set them up, I thought I might run out of money at some point, which I have, uh, and uh, I thought I'll get ten awards made. Uh, and that will last me 10 years and then if, it's, if I'm still doing it we'll have another, another 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so I had the awards made by an eccentric I'd found for one of my tv shows. Uh, in fact it, it was John Ward who who was a, a, an eccentric creator of things. So basically uh, well,
0: you got uh, somebody called Ward to make the awards so yes. you were giving I, away awards by award.
1: Yeah and then uh, and at some point later on, the Fringe Awards uh, uh, outfit gave me an award for awarding these awards by award.
0: Excellent. Well, you can't get better than that, can you? Mm. So awesome. there, were, there was originally one award, which yeah, was one a award,
1: party. It? Yeah, just called the Malcolm Hardy Award. And then there was this very enterprising uh, girl. But it's, I remember it vividly. One of the few things I remember vividly, Jill Smith was her name. And she came to me and she said, I'm thinking of nominating myself for the Malcolm Hardy Award on the basis I can then put in my fringe poster, Malcolm Hardy Award nominee, I think Malcolm would, would have approved. And I thought... Yeah, he certainly would have approved. It's a great a great idea. And I thought, well, we'd better give her an award. Otherwise, she's going to give herself an award. So we might as well get in there first. And so we, we gave her an award for this brilliant idea. And I, I made up the idea of a cunning stunt award. So she got the very first cunning stunt award, uh, which I think was in 2009, although it was before 2008. And there was some reason, but I can't really remember but uh, that's, but, uh, that is a real, ge- that's a stroke of genius, isn't it? So, it was it, just, it saying, is you know, just you know,
0: I'm just going to basically nominate myself.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it meant, it meant that you went ahead and created a whole genre of awards yeah, for her. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, in the home of the Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe is a lie because you have all these posters, all these quotes on which were the for reviews of quotes of the previous the year's previous shows. shows. Sometimes seven years ago, show whatever. Yeah, so the, whole the Edinburgh Fringe is just just bullshit, on, the, on that sort of front. So it was a brilliant idea. It epitomised the Edinburgh Fringe, and Malcolm would have, if he'd thought of it, he would have done it as well. Yeah, he'd have uh, loved it. And so, so then there came into being the, uh, the Malcolm Hardy Award and the Cunning Center Award. And then, and I thought, well, the, the Malcolm Hardy Award had better be called something else. It was the Malcolm Hardy Award for Comic Originality it was then called, and then so then there were two awards. And then after a few years, I sat down and looked at the awards winners for previous years, and I thought, no one's heard of these people. In, in 10 years' time, they're going to sit down, look at these awards and not have heard of them. Because in order to get a Malcolm Hardy comic originality award, you have to be severely weird. I mean, it has to be a real originality. Yeah. And real originality and weirdness of a kind that would not get you a show at 8 o'clock on a, on a Saturday night on BBC yeah. One. but then
0: it's by their nature they're not mainstream, are they? So...
1: Yeah, yeah. So by, by definition, these acts are not mainstream, and therefore, in 10 years' time, the average punter, who admittedly doesn't know who Malcolm Hardy is anyway, uh, wouldn't know who these people are. I thought, how do I get famous names in 10 years' time on, on a list when people look back on them, and therefore get a bit of... Uh, Kudos. That's the very word. What a fine word it is, too. And it's my word now. <laughs> uh, and so I thought, well, if you do... The, the act most likely to win a million quid award, I thought. Obviously, a million quid is obviously in in, in Malcolm's area. It's not a million pounds, a million quid. Oh, no, it's the atmosphere to make a million quid, as opposed to win a million quid. It's the atmosphere to make a million quid. I mean, Trevor Noah was was a winner, who's now got his own chat show in America.
0: Well, he's incredible, Uh, isn't
1: he? Yeah, and and, uh, the the first one was... uh, No, no, it wasn't. Bo Burnham we had early on. uh, And we had a funny feeling of Bo Burnham, who was an internet sensation, might actually have been a millionaire. Already, have already so been a ne- millionaire. But <laughs> we're never too sure. Yeah, we've never <laughs> had uh, It was just, it was a severe possibility. We also had uh, Bennett Brandreth, uh, who's the son of uh, Giles. Of Giles. Giles. Yeah. Yeah. He's the son of- and he, he, he's a lawyer and he's in some very specialist thing. I can't remember what it is. I think it's something like copyright law or something. And we thought he's going to be a millionaire just after being a lawyer. So even if he doesn't continue being a stand-up comic, he's going to be a millionaire. I uh, love so, the
0: ambiguity. It's brilliant. It's so good. Yeah.
1: But one of the best awards was uh, Ellis and Rose was an act. Uh, and they, that particular year, whatever it was, 2013, I think, they did a show called, uh, oh God, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, anyway, it involved Jimmy Savile. They were doing this show. Jimmy Savile was very controversial. And then so controversial that one night after the show, Ellis got beaten up in the street by an irate person who'd seen the show. How dare you do these, this comedy show about this awful person? And he, he had black eye, he had bruises, he had I'm everything. I'm right. he, he, had terrible, he, he looked terrible. Uh, and so we, I, I did a, a blog about him, because I do a very, very interesting blog. I did a blog about him, and he got, he got publicity in the evening news, the, the Scotsman all over the place for this, this thing, only a few lines, but sort of publicity you can't buy in Edinburgh at the fringe time. And it turned out that, in fact, they'd faked this. <gasps> and, in fact, they'd done it for the publicity, because they thought, well, if, if Jimmy Starr was involved and if, if, if he gets beaten up, that's newsworthy, so we'll get at least, like, three lines mentioning our show title and, therefore, Fabulous. we'll get more people to come to the show. Uh, but, in fact, when I say they faked it, they didn't fake it. What they did was, Ellison Rose, Rose beat up Ellis's face. He punched Ellis in the face full force. In the eye and everything to, to bruise him up. Pictures were then taken of this of, of the uh, of the the end result. In so order they
0: were to... proper method then.
1: <laughs> yeah, So 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 this this was a cunning stunt because the whole point about the cunning stunt is that they're not stunts. So getting a hundred men with red hair to walk, walk along Princess Street and and filmed by American networks and things, it's not a a cunning no. stunt. It's a stunt, but it's not cunning. No. Now, this was a cunning. Stunt. The best cunning stunts are things that either people don't know ever happened. Or don't know ever happened until you tell them. Yes, uh, and they would taken the precaution of filming, <laughs> filming Rose beating up Ellis, so you actually saw him hitting him. <laughs> full oh force my
0: goodness!
1: Field. And is this proved to us, and all the judges said, in fact, they weren't telling the so In fact, this, this was done for publicity purposes.
0: My goodness!
1: Uh, someone else was getting the award that year because it was obvious that the other person should get the award, and so we couldn't give them the the cunning stunt award. So I made up an award which was the Malcolm Hardy Pound of Flesh Award because they would just beaten his paste his to the paste <laughs> pulp. That was, that was almost the best award we ever did because it was just so... And was
0: there just one of those?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a one of one Because the reason I can't remember, we couldn't give them the Cunning Stunt Award because it wasn't really fair because someone had done a brewing That's Cunning Stuff. Right, yeah. And and so I, I, for that one year, and I, for some other reason, I had a spare trophy. So at the end of 10 years, all this came to an end uh, and uh, I ran out of money to do it all. There was, I think, a year without the Malcolm Hardy Awards and then the, the British Comedy Guide uh, online site, the British Comedy Guide took it over and they did their uh, 2019, uh, the awarded awards, and then sadly 2020, no awards or no shows. So there you go.
0: Yeah, no shows. So yeah. uh, so on that note, I um, thank you so much for, for joining me again, John. <laughs> Take two! Hooray! The, the main difference between the two interviews, really, uh, dearest listener, is that uh, the first one, really, apart from the wind, and that wasn't either of us, John, or, or myself, it was nature's wind in a garden. And, and the fact that I just really felt that I, I sort of walked away not knowing in depth anything about you john which i feel like i do now i feel like i do sorry we haven't we haven't spoken about your blog so um
1: we should... it's, called, it's called so it goes so if you were to google john fleming was one m uh so it goes you could find it
0: yeah and and it's it is an amazing blog because because of your comedy connoisseurness if that's a word it's not we know it's not you uh meet so many different performers cabaret um stand-up comics, alternative comics, and as you said, you you know, you were um, employed to find the uh, weirdest and the most unusual acts and you uh, often interview them and uh, the the blog is just full of interesting snippets of new acts and old acts and everything else besides, isn't it?
1: But but interestingly, the the highest hits don't come on the comedy side, they come on the crime side. Crime? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the one that constantly gets read is uh, why the, uh, the craze movie Legend uh, doesn't work. Uh, and and the other one that always gets constant reviews is why you should never try and kill yourself by putting your, your head in the gas oven. Uh, so you can the, check those, those out, the,
0: listener.
1: <laughs> the, the, those two get constant things and then occasionally things flare up. The, the, in the last like three weeks, there's been a lot of hits on the the, the, the nude uh, statue of Ariel on the outside of Broadcasting House. and Someone said it's something to do with people looking up statues, as if it's something to do with slavery, and also the word "naked" I think, is in there. So the two together means people just hit them. Who knows? Who knows? Who
0: knows? I thought you'd become sort of a detective writer when you said it's the crime ones that people look at. I thought, aye, aye, ay, no, no, I didn't realise that.
1: No, I've got a varied readership. I've got a lot of sort of low-key comedians in Britain, a lot of Essex men, Essex boys, and Essex girls who want to be criminals and they I've got all sorts of people in America, and, uh, anyway. It's a strange, a strange readership. I have to keep them all together.
0: It's worth, it's worth checking it out. Oh,
1: can I put my clothes back on now?
0: <laughs> yes, John, you can. <laughs> I think it's best. So, uh, so thank you so much yeah. for joining me on Real Folk, and I do feel like we've actually managed to find out who the real John Fleming is, um, and not just talk about all the all the famous comedians and people that have crossed his path over the years. And uh, hopefully we'll all see you back up in Edinburgh and um, 2021 will lead to many more Malcolm Hardy Awards. Thanks for listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke.